Welcome back to Potting the Red Sox, a bloggingtheredsox.com podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Campbell, and today I'm joined by the Athletics' Jen McCaffrey. Jen, thank you for joining me today. Are you in the process of preparing for spring training? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, uh, spring training's uh, about a week away, so yep, uh, getting ready to get this going. Do you media folks know what spring training will look like yet in terms of having access to the like Fenway South Complex, being able to patrol the grounds, things like that? Not really. Um, I don't actually don't think any, uh, I think only one or two reporters are going. We don't really have much access at all. So um, everything's going to be over Zoom and we're not really going to have um, the ability to, you know, talk to players or in person or anything like that. So it'll be pretty different. But yeah, I don't think anybody's really going this year. Ah, uh, Okay. Just before we get too in depth with any um, Red Sox centered topics, I kind of wanted to ask you about how you got into sports journalism in the first place. Like, were there any inspirations or uh, motivating factors for you? Yeah, so I just I did a bunch of uh, internships in college. I went to Syracuse. I interned for WEEI on the radio side and on the dot com side um, when the website had just really gotten underway in two thousand nine. I did a couple internships um, up at Syracuse for one of the newspapers up there, uh, covered high school sports. Um, and then, yeah, my first full-time job was covering high school sports um, for the Cape Cod Times. And I did that for four years. And then I served as like a backup writer for pro sports um, yeah, for Mass Live um, for another three years and then got here. So yeah, it's been a been a long road of uh, kind of a lot of uh, grunt work and um, you know all that to kind of to kind of get here. And while writing for Mass Live or like WEI, are there any differences between how you how you wrote for them and how you currently write for the Athletic, like in terms of writing style? Um, I mean, I'm I've I guess I've gotten a lot more experience, so I probably have refined things here and there. But um, I would say for the Athletic, yeah try to find like sort of deeper and different um like story topics and you know cover the team um try to cover the team a little differently that's sort of how we run at the athletics so just trying to find like outside the box um you know stories versus i guess you know the daily you know injury reports and you know lineups and all that stuff um which is still important but we try to kind of find things that are a little more outside the box so i guess maybe that's probably the biggest difference like that's like I was going to ask you about like your approach. So like, whereas like Mass Live, they write about like anything that happens with the Red Sox can basically be a story. But uh, I guess that's not the case for the Athletic. Yeah, I mean, I think we look at it. Um, yeah, so at Mass Live, we kind of were just uh, yeah posting kind of every uh, detail I guess that would happen. Whereas with the Athletic, it's um, we're trying to find like the deeper stories that maybe you might not necessarily hear about. Um, you know, or, or know about a certain player or just try to, you know, think outside the box in that way. So in going from um, Mass Live to the Athletic in 2018, I believe, uh, was that a difficult transition for you or did you find it uh, like adaptable? Yeah, I think I was uh, able to adapt. I tried to do some of the longer stories whenever I could um, at Mass Live. Um, so I think that's sort of always been um, a thing that I've been passionate about is kind of digging a little deeper uh with certain things but um 
Yeah, I mean, obviously there was a little bit of a learning curve just because you're moving from one job to another, but I had been covering the team for a while. So that obviously helps in kind of knowing people and um, just kind of dug in a little bit more and tried to tried to approach it from, yeah, that perspective versus, um, you know, versus writing every, you know, every single transaction, maybe looking for things that people didn't know about the team and, and that kind of thing mentioned not going to spring training because of the ongoing uh, pandemic. So how has the pandemic affected the way uh, you go about writing or just uh, covering the team in general? Yeah, it's changed it like in every way. Um, I mean, you know, just from being able to just walk up to someone and talk to them, you know, at the field, we can't even really be there Um, during the season. We can't get within like 200 feet of any of the people on the team and have to watch all the games from afar or on TV. So um, it takes away a lot of your sort of access and creativity in terms of, um, you know, what you're able to do. So just have had to adapt and, and making a lot of phone calls and getting obviously used to Zoom like most people this past year and kind of uh, expanding your contact list and trying to call as many people as possible and um, just try to think of other stories that, you know, how how this you know past year has affected players and their families and how teams operate and you know what the travel schedules are like and all that kind of stuff so it's uh it's changed it in uh, really significant ways yeah and with those obstacles in mind um the fact that the red sox weren't good last year make it like a little more challenging like a little hard to get motivated to uh, perhaps engage with uh, different people yeah not not hard to get motivated, but just hard. Uh, I think fans were so disinterested in the team because they were so bad. And uh, it just uh, people, people just didn't care or people were angry, you know, coming off the Mookie Betts trade. So trying to find things people cared about or, you know, wanted to engage about, um, you know, was the, was a, a big challenge. And it was, yeah. Um, you know, when obviously when the players aren't doing well, they, you know, don't want to give you as much time or, you know, aren't as easy to talk to or engage with. Um, so, uh, yeah, there were a lot of hurdles last year and it was, a it was a, a challenging year to cover the team for sure. And I imagine those exchanges with players like could become more awkward over zoom with the delays and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just getting used to, I think for everybody, you know, in, in any kind of, <laughs> any line of work, but yeah. Um, it was a, uh, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a difficult, you know, transition at times, but I think yeah, people eventually kind of got the hang of things, but, uh, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're almost on the other side of this and uh, things will start to trend back towards uh, more normalcy in the, in the coming months. Red Sox chief baseball officer, Hein Bloom spoke to you guys on, I believe that was a Wednesday night. He's been here for a year and a half close to now. So what have you made of his interactions uh, with the media since he took over in Boston? His interactions with the media have been fine. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know that the fans are too happy with a lot of the moves he's made, but he's been very, um, he's been, you know, I think very open and kind of forthcoming with a lot of just, um, just explaining why he's done a lot of the things he's done in terms of just making the roster more flexible and sustainable for the future. And obviously kind of working under the direction of what, you know, ownership wants him to do. So yeah, I mean, uh, we've sort of seen a blueprint of, you know, what he's been doing over the past year and trading away a lot of these more well-known players and getting back prospects and trying to make the the roster more, you know, filled with younger and controllable players for the future. Um, and, and obviously that'll help, you know, down the line with them being able to sign more people that they want to sign. And it's, you know, he admitted obviously that he knows it's painful for fans, you know, getting 
trading trading Mookie, trading Benintendi, obviously probably not bringing back Jackie Bradley Jr. But, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's said that he's, you know, thinks that this is the direction the team needs to go in. And obviously he's the one in charge. So we'll, uh, we'll see if, you know, what he, uh, what he's done so far ends up paying dividends for them in the future. Would you say he's transparent when, transparent when answering your guys' questions? Cause I've also seen people say like, he says a lot without actually saying much. Yeah. I mean, I think that's any GM in this, in this game or any, you know, any person that works in sports, they're only going to tell you so much because why would they tip your hand? You know, they're not going to say, this is what we're doing X, Y, and Z. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he's been as transparent, you know, as most, you know, GMs are, um, and just, uh, kind of explaining what he does here and there. Um, you know, I think you always want them to be more open, but I don't think that, uh, I don't think he's necessarily been hiding anything, you know, um, from people intentionally uh, just to try to tarnish the image or anything like that. Moving on to more Red Sox roster centered topics now. Uh, there's a lot of places we could go with this. Uh, I guess we'll start with the most recent acquisition, Marwin Gonzalez. What did you make of the deal and what kind of impact do you think he'll have with the Red Sox this year? Yeah, he's just another one of those depth moves. I mean, obviously last year they were lacking depth in a variety of areas. So adding someone like him to the roster where he can play almost every position just gives them more flexibility in the infield and the outfield. I mean, he'll probably serve mostly as a, because he's a switch hitter, you know, he can serve as sort of a left-handed option at first base for Bobby Dahlbeck. And that'll probably be where he gets most of his his time, um, but he, but he can fill in in other areas. And I think, you know, it's uh, probably a smart move for them to get someone that again, you know, can, can keep the roster, um, you know, as, uh, as pliable as possible. Man, would you say his signing probably rules out any chances of a Mitch Moreland reunion? Yeah, I would say so just because it sort of fills that same similar role. Obviously Moreland's a lefty, you know, would have been a lefty backup at first. And I'm pretty sure that's, you know, what Gonzalez is going to fill, uh, you know, moving forward. So I, I don't see that. Uh, I don't see Moreland coming coming here this season. And you mentioned Gonzalez's versatility. They've also added a lot of uh, – he's not the only versatile player they've added. Enrique Hernandez, his signing was made official a few weeks ago. So how many lineup combinations or platoons do you think Alex Cora will roll with this year? Yeah, I think it, you're going to probably see uh, – probably a different lineup on most days just uh, mixing and matching a lot of these different guys into the into the lineup you know not only with I think Hernandez will probably see most of his time at second but uh but he can also play the outfield and obviously every other position uh I think he'll see most of his time at second but I mean even with the outfields uh you've got a lot of options out there with you know Franchi Cordero came back in that Benintendi trade and Renfro probably, you know, swapping off in, in left and then Verdugo, you know, in center. But uh, you just got a lot of different options there that they're probably going to be, you know, swapping in and out guys depending on on matchups and who's on the mound opposing them that day. Do I uh, think they'll still add another position player before the season starts? Because I saw this debate online the other day talking about, like, if they have a three-man or four-man bench, like, what, what are the advantages there? I don't, I think, I think they're pretty much done. Um, you know, they only have a, like 2 million left before the luxury tax threshold. So, I mean, I don't think that they necessarily want to go over that right now. Um, and uh, I think they're, you know, pretty full where they are. So yeah, I don't see really anything else happening at this point, but uh, I don't know. I'm surprised us a lot in the past. So I guess uh, I shouldn't say never, never say never, I guess. And you mentioned the trade that brought Franchi Cordero to the Red Sox, which sent a few players to be named later to the Red Sox. Um, 
what did you make of the fact that only two of the five players they acquired are known? And uh, how long do you think it'll take until the players to be named later are revealed? Yeah, so um, Bloom was basically saying that they agreed with the Bets and Royals that uh, they would get a chance to look at, you know, this, those teams' farm systems over the, you know, once the minor league season starts. So I wouldn't expect those uh, players to be named until, you know, May or June, once the minor league season gets underway. So the Red Sox can, can get a look at those guys um, and, and kind of pick who they want basically. Um, but yeah, I mean, Cordero obviously has a lot of tools. Um, it's just a matter of him staying healthy and, and performing. You know, he's, he's only got like 95 games over the past four years because he's been injured. But I think when, when he does put things together, he can be really impressive. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of see what he, what he can do and, um, you know, if he can stay healthy this year, um, and, and, uh, you know, the other, the other, uh, guy they got back Josh Winchowski is a, a minor leaguer um he's a starter right now but they might slot him into the into the bullpen in the future and just kind of uh I think Bloom called him an unfinished product he's worked working on a, uh, another pitch and um is is uh you know basically trying to refine his repertoire at this point so um yeah I mean you know I think uh I think you know they got they got back what they did and obviously they wanted to trade Ben Benintendi and try to get more you know depth and flexibility for the minor league system. So that's, uh, that's kind of where they stand at this point. And I think Ben and will, will do well in Kansas city. Just, uh, I think he needed to kind of get out of here and get a, a kind of a fresh start somewhere else. Yeah. He did seem pretty happy during his presser yesterday. Moving on. Oh, you mentioned the players to be named later and uh, it's almost coming up on the six month anniversary, I guess the Josh Osage trade. So um, has there there been any insight into who the Red Sox will be acquiring from the Cubs or will it just be cash considerations? It probably is just going to be cash at this point. Um, But again, yeah, we haven't really heard too much. Um, And I'm, I'm, yeah, I haven't, I don't know that I have any updates on that. um, And I don't know that there will be. Um, So it does, it does seem like it's trending in the direction that it'll just be end up uh, being cash on that one. Yeah, you were talking about the outfield picture earlier with Verdugo, uh, Renfro, and Cordero. So um, Jackie Bradley Jr. is still available. Kind of seemed like with his Instagram post the other day, kind of was ruling out a reunion. Where would you expect him to land in the coming weeks? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's coming back here at this point, especially, you know, considering they they have several center field options at this point. Um, obviously, none of them are as strong as Jackie's uh, defense, but uh, I think if they were going to – you know, bring them back. They probably wouldn't have added that many, you know, guys that can play center. Um, and again, we talked about kind of where they are financially. I think to have made all the moves that they're that they've made at this point, um, and then to you know blow past that threshold would be sort of strange and not really you know in line with what they've been doing the rest of this winter. So um, yeah, I'm not. I don't know where he'll land. Um, you know, I know the Mets got Almora, um, but it does sound like that might be more of a you know, a platoon thing for him. So maybe he does end up, you know, with the Mets. Um, I, there's a, you know, there's a handful of teams out there that can afford and, and you know, could use um, a player like Jackie. So uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll, I'm assuming he'd like to land somewhere before camps open and that's, you know, next week. So maybe we'll find out this weekend or in the coming days, uh, you know, where he, where he lands. And Michael Chavis was someone the Red Sox threw out in the outfield last September. Would you envision him making the opening day roster, or do you think he's a trade or potential uh, option to AAA candidate? Yeah, at this point, I mean, you know, I think he's got an uphill battle to make the opening day roster. I think 
I don't, you know, I don't know that he has much trade value either at this point, just because he hasn't, you know, played very well over the past couple years. Uh, but I think he's, you know, one of those players that could benefit from starting in AAA and kind of maybe getting his feet under him and maybe building a little trade value. Or, you know, if, if one of the guys in the Red Sox roster gets hurt, then sliding into that role. So I think there's, there's options for him. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see him being a contributor right away. Um, just, you know, again, given, given how he's performed of late, he'll probably start off in AAA and try to get back, you know, back to where uh, he can be a productive player for them. This is kind of my own personal theory. Really haven't heard much about it, but um, Bobby Dahlbeck is looks like he's going to be the everyday first baseman. But he was obviously a natural third baseman in like uh, in college, I believe. Would you envision the Red Sox entertaining the idea of trading him since his value might never be as high as it is right now? No, I, I definitely don't think they're thinking of trading him. I mean, I, he's only played about 40, 40 ish, you know, games um, at this point. I think it's still too early, you know. To, tell even for other teams um that's uh you know other teams out there i think it's more likely that he moves back over to third endeavors moves into the dh role um whenever you know uh jd martinez's time is done in at the end of this year um but i think that's more the likely option guys off just after um you know 50 games or so i think he's got a lot of uh potential here in boston and they see they see a lot of potential in, in him. And so I, I, you know, I think I, I can see him being a, a piece of this team for, for the future and maybe down the line, you know, a, a trade asset, but uh, I think, you know, Bloom's talked all winter and, you know, since he got here about making, you know, long-term sustainable decisions and having players, young players under control. So um, that's, you know, <laughs> Dahlbeck's got both of those things in his corner. It's just a matter of kind of putting on, putting it all together. And you said, um, Bloom has been kind of unpredictable this time with the Red Sox. So do you think any more uh, significant additions will come between now and say maybe um, the trade deadline, if there is one, or will they only make minor moves? The trade deadline. I mean, yeah, that's hard to say. I thought you were going to say the start of the season before the start of the season, I'd say no. Um, But uh, yeah, they could be very active at the trade deadline. I think it depends on, how the team's playing, you know, what their health status is, if they're actually, if they're better than people think, if they're worse than people think they might be sellers and kind of try to trade off Vivaldi or Matt Barnes and get more pieces. If they're good, then maybe they'll need something. So, yeah, I mean, I, I imagine, you know, just given that, you know, what we've seen over Bloom from the past few years, they'll be active in some way at the trade deadline this year. I think it's just uh, too early to tell for that. Uh, this is a question on those same lines because I'm talking about next offseason here. But this winter, Red Sox are viewed as like not real favorites, but kind of like viewed as maybe like having an outside chance of guys like George Springer or JT Realmuto. Do you think they'll have more of a chance to land a big name free agent next winter? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that was sort of um, what, uh, you know, what Bloom had in mind with sort of shaping the roster in the way he did with a lot of these kind of calculated smaller moves was to create more flexibility for, for the future. Um, there's a lot of marquee pitchers on the market, you know, next winter from, you know, uh, Scherzer, uh, you know, obviously Verlander has been hurt, but you know, there's a bunch of big name guys out there on the market next winter. So I'd be curious to see if they go after someone like that. Um, but yeah, I think there's the potential, I, you know, I don't think they're not going to spend. It's just because they haven't over the past couple of years. I think it's just they're he's trying to retool things, um, kind of create that flexibility. You know, we've 
I know a lot of people think that he's operating like the Rays, but most of us, you know, uh, that have been kind of covering the team, see it more as, you know, the Dodgers and obviously, um, you know, what Friedman did with the Dodgers and, and, and Bloom being kind of a, a disciple of having worked with, with Friedman over um, in Tampa for several years of sort of, yeah, retooling the roster and making a lot of small moves before going out and, um, you know, blowing people away with, you know, giving Mookie that huge contract. So I think, uh, I think that's eventually the direction he's trying to get things in, but, but obviously kind of has to clean things up a little bit first and that's where they are now. And people I don't think are used to used to the, this kind of Red Sox team, but I think I, I can see them spending in the, in the future and maybe next winter. Um, but I, again, I think it all it depends on where the team stands at that point after the season. I wanted to ask you about the starting rotation because I'm kind of curious, whereas you have uh, like, it seems like Tanner Houck and Nick Pavetta are both could be in line for a end of the rotation spot, but uh, Pavetta seems to have the advantage because he's out of minor league options. So do you think they'll take like a conservative approach and start Houck in AAA or maybe even move him to the bullpen or? Yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll move him to the bullpen. I think they do want to, you know, I don't think they want to flop his roles too much, but I could see him starting out AAA uh, for at least maybe a few starts a month, um, you know, something like that with Pavetta in the rotation. And I think there's just going to be a lot of moving parts in terms of bringing guys up and, and down and, and keeping guys fresh um, with the with the rotation. So I think help will see a significant, you know, number of innings with the Red Sox this year, but I don't know that he'll start the year with them just uh, yeah, just because of that, because they kind of need to keep that flexibility. So I, I, I think that's kind of how they'll approach it and uh, and see, you know, see how that works for them. And I believe one of your colleagues, Peter Gammons, wrote this a few weeks ago or months ago. He, I think he says something like, uh, like either like Brian Mata or Connor Seabold will make their major league debuts at some point this summer. Uh, do you envision that happening? And which one of those two do you think would have a bigger impact with the Red Sox in 2021? Yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, you know, I could, they're both sort of projected around the trajectory to, to kind of uh, make their debuts at some point this year. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think Siebold would be more of a rotation guy in Mata at this point. Seems like, you know, he has been starting, but I, I think his ultimate, you know, ceiling is a, is a, is as a reliever. Um, so, you know, I think if he kind of harnesses his uh, control a little bit more, that's always sort of been an issue for him. He could be really impactful. Um, we haven't really seen too much of those guys. Obviously, we haven't seen them over the past year. So especially Siebold, because he only came over in that trade in July from the Phillies. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I think I think Siebold could be a kind of a back end of the rotation type guy and be in that mix to kind of help, you know, give uh, the rotation guys an extra day or, you know, maybe serve as that six man or swing man. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I do think that there's a chance that, um, one or both of them could see time later in the year. Again, it all depends on, you know, where the team is at itself, but, uh, but they, they, they both are sort of at the point in their career where they're on the cusp of, uh, of their major league debuts. And you mentioned Mata's role kind of uncertain moving forward. Another guy the Red Sox have like that is Darwinson Hernandez. It seems like they're, I don't know if they're flip-flopping on him, but I've seen, um, instances where they say he's a reliever moving forward. And then I see others where like they might move him to the starting rotation. So based off how little he pitched um, in 2020, he seems unlikely he'd move to the rotation this year. But what do you, th- what do you think his outlook is? 
Yeah, I think we just we haven't seen a lot of him, like you said, because he's been hurt. So, um, you know, I still think that long term he's a reliever. He seems to be better off in those one, you know, max two winning outings. Um, again, he's another one that we've in the past anyway, has had those control issues and he's been able to, you know, crank it up to, to 98, but then gets a little wild with the walks. So I think, you know, if he can if he can uh, kind of harness that and be able to control that he could be a good you know a key piece to the back end of their bullpen um it's just a matter of you know putting that all together and and you know just getting the reps and kind of just getting more consistency out there because he's been hurt so I think that's probably the key with him and, and just being able to see him for an extended period of time uh because again yeah we just haven't seen a lot of him all right last question for me I think uh Baseball perspectives had the Red Sox winning around like 80, 85 games this year, assuming they play a full 162. So what would your prediction be or over under for a win total be for the Red Sox this year? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they'll be over 500. Um, I think 80, 85 wins, you know, you know, is probably I think like around 80, 45 wins. I know that's sort of what they had in 2019 and it was viewed as disappointing coming off the 2018 World Series. But I think people would be would be happy if this team uh, wins 85 games. I mean, we don't really know exactly what the the playoff picture is going to look like. But if you know, I don't think they're going to be anywhere near competing for the division. Obviously, the Yankees are far too strong to to be able to compete with them um, and the Rays too, of course, um, the Blue Jays have gotten a lot better, but um, you know, if they can win 85 games and somehow, you know, be able to compete for like a second wild card or something along those lines, that would make things interesting. But yeah, I, I think, uh, I think they're going to be, you know, I know people are down on this team. They've lost a lot of big names, but I don't think they're as bad. Um, I definitely don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last year. And I don't think they're, you know, as bad as, you know, people are making them out to be. I think they'll, I think they'll be a little better than 500 and, uh, and they'll probably be coming in with a chip on their shoulder, knowing that everybody's kind of down on them. So I think that'll, that'll probably help them a little bit too. All right, Jen McCaffrey, thank you very much. Uh, you can read Jen's stuff at theathletic.com and follow her on Twitter at JC McCaffrey. Jen, thank you again. Thanks for having me.